Welcome to the Remote Working Podcast, brought to you by CloudBase. Welcome to the Remote Working Podcast, Communication Edition. In this episode, we explore the key communication elements for business leaders to successfully implement organisational change. How a well-thought-out communication strategy can improve loyalty amongst your employees and help you minimise risks associated with implementing too much change all at once. Our guest today is a highly experienced communications and reputation management specialist with more than 30 years working in director level roles across the public and private sectors. Her frontline experience covers a wide range of industries which include chemicals, manufacturing, engineering, healthcare, leisure, property, IT, telecoms and automotive which pretty much covers every industry there is and she has more letters after her name than there are in the alphabet. Debbie Cat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. What a brilliant introduction. Oh, you're more than welcome. Well, you deserve it because uh, letters after your name are impressive at the best of times, but you have more than just a a BSc with honours, don't you? I do indeed. I've had a very varied career. Well, I'm still having the career and communications has been absolutely at the heart of it all. I started off early on with journalism training and from publishing, I went then into PR. Public relations, of course, is all about communication, getting the right message through to the right people at the right time in the right way and if one of those factors is not there then it doesn't happen. Yeah and I wanted to talk to you about that actually because communications plays a a really important role particularly now in the economic environment that we find ourselves within and many business leaders find themselves within but what part has communication specifically played within your various roles and maybe some examples? I can think of one immediately that springs to mind where an organisation which had international activities and sites was having to close down a number of its sites involving large scale redundancies. So sadly, not good news. No. And one of the key things for this was the same time delivery of the message right across. You can imagine international time slots as well, time zones. It was really, really difficult to organise. Sure. The importance of the level of the person who is announcing is also important. It's critical that it's a very senior person so that it appears to have the credibility from the absolute top and it's not seen as rumour or confusion making. So it was absolutely essential to have a senior team briefed first who then were given a time slot depending on their location exactly when to deliver and it was essential that the same script the same message was given so that simultaneously everybody across the organization was given that message now the the reason for that was you can imagine that the credibility of the organization externally as well as internally was at stake here because if one group got the information first uh, and then would release it either to the media or just to friends and colleagues or whatever it it would really reduce the solidarity of the company and the importance there was no matter what size or shape of the organization was left it still had to carry on being productive and effective and if you want to maintain that motivation and commitment and engagement and loyalty of the staff who are remaining you have to demonstrate that the company is still viable and reasoning and the rationale behind the decision had to be explained in very clear simple terms. So that coordination then is uh, probably the most important piece of advice that you could give to a communications expert within a business. Absolutely 
absolutely so. But it's also important before you, you start thinking about how, it's who you're going to communicate with and who is going to do that. Then obviously, and certainly at the moment, it's only online communication, but that does make things a little bit easier actually because um, people are much clearer about how they're going to take in the message. It is on screen, although clearly there can be personal messaging as well involved. But the, the key is to get your structure of that delivery and how that announcement's going to be made, who's going to make it, who it's going to go to. And then, of course, a two-way system of lower down briefing so that those who are receiving the messaging have the opportunity to ask questions and get reassurances. What happens if there's a leak? Well, that's a very good question. We have leaks already. We need to talk about the government and various leaks. <laughs> uh, so it, it, even the best kept secrets, you have to have a plan. You have to anticipate a leak. And the, the point is, when you start your plan, you always build in a possibility of somebody releasing the information for whatever reason. Quite often, it's not even malicious. It might, it might be accidental. Quite easily, it could be something perfectly normal that happens and it just comes out in a conversation, which is unfortunate, but there you go. I think in most instances, it's innocent, isn't it? It just it falls out of a, of a middle manager, for example. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the rumour mill can start. You've got Chinese whispers that you know go around the company and we all know what Chinese whispers can do and I think therefore well, that's right they're extremely destructive this this is the point this is why if you've got any news of any sort positive or negative because positive needs the impact to create the effectiveness of the positivity of it so that can be diluted just as much as, as a negative but the situation should be with a very small core of need to know people right at the beginning but within that master plan you have a fail safe of what would happen if there's a leak. That's why the initial announcement is usually made at a very senior level and then it proceeds down. But the key to it also is to have these very clear scripts which everybody adheres to. I think the UK government could take some of your advice and I think they should hire you, Debbie. <laughs> well, I... I'm not sure I want to be associated with this pickle that we're into, but um, certainly I'm available if people would like to have a little conversation. But joking apart, Dan, <laughs> the important thing is whenever you have any type of news to deliver, good or bad, it's absolutely crucial to get your plan sorted out, the who, the how, and the what, and the when. And all these things that have to be sorted out long before there's any possibility of a rumour. The who, the what, the how, and the when. I think that's really really good advice for most things isn't it when you're talking about communication you need to know the answers to those fundamental questions and if you can't answer them you need to find out before you communicate you do indeed but there's also the why and the why is really crucial because again the rationale for these things has to be explained and that's part of your messaging because sometimes things seem a little bit obscure a decision seems to be a little bit strange if there is an explanation for it then that really may help to defuse a, a very difficult situation sometimes change is is a very difficult thing for people to accept but if there is a logical explanation if there's a reasonable explanation rather than just a, an edict then people will tend to accept that and implement it much quicker and be much more amenable to that change so what are some of the key key pieces of advice that you would give to communication specialists within organisations today that have this very dilemma. They're trying to communicate on both sides of the coin. They're trying to keep leadership happy. They're trying to communicate to the employees. They may feel overwhelmed right now, quite rightly. What's some of the key things that you would advise them on today? Well, one of the first things I would say, Dan, is 
is it's not all about what management or the senior teams or the organizational structure wants to communicate to its organization generally. You've got to think about what's going on in the minds of the people who are receiving the messaging and the communications. Because all those people out there have got different circumstances. They've got different levels of understanding of the situation, both practically and also from an organizational perspective, because they're at different levels and they've got different areas of knowledge. So you've got to work out what's going on in their heads. Actually, the best way of doing that is to ask them, to ask them some of what their key concerns are, and those need to be addressed. Do you know, it's funny, isn't it? I think more and more people spend a lot of time planning for what-if scenarios. And, you know, what if the employees like this? What if they don't like this? What should we do for leadership? What shouldn't we do? You hit the nail on the head. The key is ask them, right? Ask them. Absolutely so. And it's, it's, it's like this with customers. A lot of people think, particularly in marketing and in PR, you know, what, what sort of message we ask what the customers want, ask what existing customers want, ask what potential customers want. But in this instance, we're particularly looking at our staff, our teams. You don't even have to ask them individually, although that really does help. There might be a way of getting teams together to give a group discussion and a group opinion, in which case that would bring a cohesion to that group and that team and help them to work together on that because they know how that team operates and what's important to them. So there's lots of different ways that you can ask and lots of different ways then you can engage people in the planning process. Well, you know, anyone would think we just had our epiphany moment there but it's it's not complicated is it you know it's 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 asking a question and that's got to be the simplest way to find well, out it is, but it's also the most overlooked way dan so very many people it's always the way that people are on shop floors and when they're actually doing the work and a new process is introduced, they look at it with dismay or shock or even derision because they think, well, that's not going to work. But because nobody bothered to ask them about actually how the process works currently, down came this wonderful new system. And despite loads of money and huge amount of investment of time, it doesn't work because they didn't ask the people who are operating it. So if you ask people, two things will happen. One is you'll probably get a much better result. And secondly, you will engage those people. You will encourage them to join in, to take the change, to embrace whatever is happening, or at least certainly to have a much more positive outlook on the change. Do we just overcomplicate things as human beings? Is that the natural phenomenon with humans? Are we just generally overcomplicating our way through communication? I don't think it's overcomplication. Sometimes I think people take it too simple it's too simple because they think whatever they're thinking other people may be thinking and I think the point is that you don't know until you ask now you can present two two people with exactly the same scenarios and you'll get two totally different responses that means if you've got a very very large organization you can't ask everybody and then take everybody's point of view and do stuff for everything but you can have a consensus and that's why i'm suggesting that if you've got people in groups together rather than individual perspectives you could have teams you could have groups all sorts of different ways the process is designed not only to produce the best result but to produce engagement and a positive attitude to the change. Because ultimately, that's what's going to happen. If people are resistant and reluctant to accept any of these new systems or changes that are coming in, you're going to have a double struggle. So if you start off 
by engaging and involving people right from the early stages. Even if you're just telling them what you're planning, you've got a much better chance of successful implementation than if you just try and superimpose a new system on top. And it's not just for the for the employees of the business as well. So presumably there's partners and suppliers and countries potentially involved, governments involved here as well. Did you find yourself having to write uh, different communication strategies for, for each type of audience specifically? Absolutely. Well, that's the core of communications. It's absolutely defining your target audience, making sure who you're trying to talk to, and then getting the message right for those people and using the right language, because that's the key thing. And I don't mean foreign language. I mean the words that people are familiar with that create the feelings and emotions that you want to really communicate people. So let's get into some of those feelings and emotions because right now in in times that we find ourselves within there's clearly a lot of worry particularly for employees within organizations not knowing exactly you know what the future holds because it changes so so often what are some of those feelings and emotions that business leaders need to tap into well the first thing is that any change is going to lead to resistance people are resistant to change and that's one of the biggest issues whatever the scale of your change management you have to deal with uncertainty that means job security first of all but it's not just job security it's a huge number of other issues there's health and safety issues there's legal requirements there's compliance issues there's cyber security the list goes on Dan and this is the thing why communication is so crucial because planning for change has to take in all these elements at a very early stage and also has to be a two-way communication it's not just the organization telling its teams and its stakeholders about things it's so that there is the the opportunity for those people to ask questions and clarify the situation and express their concerns because that reassurance that there is somebody there to answer their questions where there's a lot of uncertainty going on that's an absolutely fundamental element now that's not always easy is it particularly when people are working remotely so maybe from home at the moment and they might be used to being in in an office with you know maybe a hundred other people and it might have been easier in in the past for business leaders to come together, congregate their employees and and, and deliver a message in one succinct manner. That's more difficult now, isn't it? It is. It's much more difficult, but it is possible. And with the wonders of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all all the other systems that people have got, and just still, we mustn't forget, there's still the old-fashioned telephone. Uh, (laughs) And if people have a concern, it requires people, organisations, to set up a completely new community communications network so you can't rely on the old-fashioned ways of doing it or the old established ways of team meetings going in you know every friday morning or whatever it was you can still have those but people have to be told what's going to happen how that they can communicate and again when you're on screen and you've got even uh, you know half a dozen people you can't have them all asking questions at the same time there's got to be rules and ways that these meetings are conducted so it's how these meetings are going to go on how the communication is on a one-to-one basis People will still have a direct line manager. Those line managers will still know who their staff employees are and their teams and working out 
specific ways so that before the rumor mill gets working, because once that starts and people start to get unsettled, then you have all those really big problems of motivation, productivity, loyalty, staff retention, and so it builds up. If you can nip that in the bud, get the communications process set up really early, fundamental structurally done, then you're going to lay all those risks. So if you were leading an organisation back in March 2020 when uh, lockdown was about to happen, you were leading communications within an organisation, what approach would you have taken at that point? What would have been the fundamental basics that you would have ensured had to happen for the organisation to move remotely? Well, the first thing, Dan, I wouldn't have waited till March because it was quite clear towards the end of last year that there were some issues. And even before that, I would have made sure that our communication structure was solid and fit for purpose. Because very few companies actually pay uh, attention to what I would call a crisis management process or a strategy. This was obviously a crisis, but in a, in a massive scale. But it's no worse in the communications element than a, a situation where, for instance, there was a fire, where an office environment was wiped out or the cybersecurity was compromised or whatever. So all those things I would have made sure were in place. Now, If they weren't in place, if I was pulled in to have a look at a company and help them, the most important thing is to have key members of staff as the spokespeople or as the focal points for contact and for reassurance of what's going on. And there would be an initial crisis team. And that team would be the people that everybody would refer to. They would all have specific roles. And the contact process, who is contacting who, what is the uh, order in which they do things, and also just basic things like contact details. A number of companies I've come across where I've been pulled in to help with such situations and the actual, the list of contact numbers are not there. Um, somebody's changed their phone number. Somebody's moved house. Somebody's there. Nobody has the control of the overall contact listing. Some absolute fundamentals. Now, that people might think, oh, you know, we've got that. That's fine. But, you know, when did you last have a, a practice rehearsal of a crisis situation? When did you last test out whether those phone numbers were working or whether people were aware of who should do what at what stage? And who are the people who inform, for instance, the media? Because formal spokespeople are very difficult to train and have in place ready. It's fine once the crisis has happened, uh, people suddenly take charge and it all happens. But if you have rehearsed and planned programs for these things, it's really important. So at this stage now where people may be considering relocating their staff or keeping remote working uh, as a permanent alternative, it's really important that we get these communication structures and networks in place really quickly. And it's interesting what you say about business continuity plans and making sure that you are you know, planning rather than being mm-hmm. reactive to situations because nobody would have predicted this pandemic for 2020 this time last year, for sure, or the scale of, of, of what this pan- pandemic would cause. And in fact, we talk about it on the uh, Remote Working Podcast Health and Safety Edition, uh, which you can check out and subscribe to uh, on uh, on wherever you get podcasts today uh, via cloud-based. But one of the things we touch on in that episode is the fact that pandemics aren't 
generally written into business plans or business continuity plans, in fact. So you, we found that a lot of business leaders have had to quickly write them, uh, you know, understand yes. exactly what uh, impact a pandemic has on their business, and then quickly identify ways to mitigate any uh, any risk, essentially. And, and I, from talking to you, I think what you're saying is most people are quite reactive to issues as opposed to proactive with communication issues. And it's very, very important now to kind of really plan for the unexpected. Covers. Well, it is, Dan. I think that the, the key to it, I mean, some companies will be thinking that they're absolutely fine and they probably have got quite robust communication structures in place. But the key to this is to do an audit of your communication structures. What is in place? How well is it known or accepted and understood? And how does it work? How well does it work is the other question. So those are the things. So if you do a communications audit, obviously you don't have to start from scratch at all. A lot of people have got brilliant things organized and it's worked like clockwork and they've just been able to move some of their teams away. and It's worked very well. But at this moment here, we have to have an audit. How are things working? How do they work? And what should we need to do in the future? When you are considering the key communication elements for successfully implementing organisational change, what are the, the top three things that people should plan for first? Well, it may seem a little bit obvious, Dan, but there has to be a plan. So many times, this is a knee-jerk reaction and people do things in a piecemeal way. There has to be a comprehensive plan. The plan then has to be crystal clear and defined into exactly what is going to be done, what is going to be communicated, the key messages, to whom and by whom. Who's actually going to do that and how is the information going to be channeled down? Because that's the key thing. And then there has to be a monitoring process as well and a sort of safety net to check that that information has been communicated round and that people understand it, which is why it has to be two-way, always two-way. It's no good just explaining things to people and hoping that they're going to get the message and get the right aspect of it. Now, that can be very difficult in an organisation for thousands of people. Um, you know, who, who would you suggest is the right person to communicate a message in the first instance? Would it be the CEO? It's always got to come from the top. From the top comes confidence, because if not, people would wonder why that it's not coming from the top. And most of the confidence in a company comes from the most senior people. And once they seem to be calm and competent, and leading, because that is the other thing, it's a key thing with all this organisational change, is leadership and people knowing who that they can turn to for leadership and reassurance, because even no matter at what level you are in an organisation, there will be unsettlement and uncertainty. And once you've got leadership and people know who to turn to, then there is a solidarity and a confidence built. So the announcement has to come from the most senior person in the organisation and that has to be delivered with confidence and strength. And then it is filtered down and as with most teams, there are different layers of management and various ways that those managers communicate. But it should be in a very sensible, structured way so that we don't leave it up to each individual manager to interpret the information accordingly because that's when the problems start to come in. The message must be consistent and compliant with all the overall tasks that the, the organisation wants to get involved in and making sure that those messages 
are accurate and consistent throughout the company is one of the most difficult things. Well, I was going to say, how do you do that? You know, if you've got an organisation of, you know, thousands of people, you know, a, a core board membership of, let's say, eight people, they agree on a, on, a, on a message, but then you've got hundreds of middle managers that have got teams of people. How do teams communicate that message effectively to those middle managers so that they understand it? And then ultimately, how do you get, you know, from the middle management down to the employees that work in their organisation? And that's very difficult to do, isn't it? Well, it is very difficult to do, but it has to be done. And the key to it is to do it in stages where there are scripts. Those scripts have to be adhered to. And the scripts are agreed and they are then consistently filtered down through the various layers. Now, the key to briefings is, you know, you deliver the script and then you have a Q&A and you have a session where people who are being briefed are then given the opportunity to ask questions and clarify it all. So there has to be a strict scripted briefing and then a two-way Q&A. And you're absolutely right to call out that, that, that two-way Q&A. And I think, you know, in my experience anyway, I think that's where what organisations forget, actually, more than anything. They're, they're so focused on getting the message out there that they actually forget to receive information coming back in, don't they? Absolutely. And in fairness, you know, no matter how competent a board is or how long people have taken to plan this, they may well have overlooked or not considered certain particular aspects. And if that comes up, say, in a, in a team meeting and a manager has a very valid point that they want to raise, they have to have a conduit to get that question through and get a sensible answer because it's little chinks in the scripting or, or the messaging like that that start to cause the problem. And then would you suggest that those questions that come back in, which are then filtered through and answered accordingly within the organisation, would you then suggest that those are published and sent back out to the employees as a kind of Q&A? Absolutely. Uh, it's a bit like organising a press conference. That you have a, a Q&A and it's printed. And I would think that that should be updated on a regular basis. There should be some form of company communication method, a newsletter, or, or you know, obviously they've got an intranet or, or some system it's, that, that they've probably got already, that they can put maybe even uh, initially when everybody's concerns are very high, it might even be a daily update and a, a forum where people can put in questions and they will be answered. I mean, p people do that where, on social media now with companies and people have a complaint or, or whatever. So um, they should be able to do that for their own internal communications. Absolutely crucial. Do you think it's important to communicate maybe when there's nothing to communicate? And I guess what I mean by that is providing some level of reassurance that things aren't changing as rapidly as people might think. So an employee that's taken out of their workplace, they, they're at home, they've probably been at home for months on end, they have less interaction than they, they had normally pre-pandemic. Do you think it's important that communication should still take place to say nothing's changed, everything's fine, don't worry? Well, I, I think you've got to have a realistic message because it's, it's no good telling people not to worry. And silence is not golden, Dan. Um, there's always something that you can say. And it's absolutely crucial to keep up that communication level and make sure that people know that there's somebody there. Otherwise, they just feel abandoned and cut off. And with the, the situation 
growing worse by the day, government announcements and so on. And they're then feeling abandoned by their company. There's nothing coming out from the company. Uh, that's really the worst of all worlds. So there should be a regular input of material. There's always something you can say, even if you say at this stage, you know, we're pleased that this is going well, that's going well. There's always something that you can do. And just a message, a personal message from senior staff, really reassuring. And, and, and you're absolutely right. It's it's never been more important to keep employees in the loop and employers still have a duty of care to their workforce. Uh, regardless of where they are in the world or whether they're at home, whether they're in the office, whether they're traveling, they have mm. a duty of care to them. And mm. part of that duty of care is to look after their well-being and their mental health um, mm. and, and as well as their health and safety, which we cover in many episodes in this podcast series. But we're seeing now and we're reading in the press that, you know, people's mental health is being affected. And how can communication help with that? Well, mental health is one of the issues that has come to the fore in employment over the last decade or so and people are realizing that they have to provide a forum or an outlet for people to express concerns and professionals have been brought in to help this mindfulness classes used to be uh, coming in for for companies to uh, have their staff at lunch times and so on and this type of thing can, can carry on there's absolutely no problem with holding mindfulness classes, all the services that um, holistic therapies and so on, they're all being put on online. It, those aren't issues. But mental health is really, really important. And a lot of issues are helped and often dealt with by discussion so that people have an outlet, some somebody or somewhere that they can actually speak to and express their concerns and just to talk through. The old coffee machine chats um, things like that. Quite often, you know, there was no real um, therapy involved. It, it was just, you know, a little chat. I've got this problem. Oh, don't, do you know, I had that. And, you know, yeah. talking about whether it's yeah. work related or even on a personal issue. And unfortunately, that's gone. So there has to be a system set up so that people have got outlets, they've got personal, maybe counselling environments where they can tap into um, some sort of support help method that they can they can use when they're remote. And this is new to everybody, okay? Nobody's lived through this kind of pandemic before. And I think there is a willingness to forgive mistakes that are made by employers. And employers shouldn't beat themselves up too much if they don't get it right first time. But this is likely to stay with us for for quite a while and businesses are going to have to adapt and they are going to change. And what would you say to, you know, communications personnel within organisations today about how they can manage this better in the future? What key tips based on all of your experience that you've had throughout your varied career, what is the what are the key takeaways that you can give to communications and PR executive within an organization today? Well the first thing is engagement. You, you don't just impose a communications process on people because that doesn't work. And you can't just impose change on people because that doesn't work. There will be resistance. If you engage with people as part of the process, ask them their opinions. Now, you know, as you say quite rightly, Dan, nobody has been through this sort of situation before. Therefore, everybody's input is useful. If you, on a regular basis, ask people for their views, what's going on, what their biggest problem has been, and so on, and involve them and use that as a resource, 
not as a problem, not as an issue to, to deal with, you know, we've got to communicate, but as a resource to build a stronger and more positive organization, then those people will feel really part of the movement to improve. But if you impose regulations or processes or procedures on people, they are naturally resistant and rightly so, because it's just, you know, they think, well, that won't work. I mean, how many times have we had that, you know, things come down from above and they think, well, if only they'd asked us, we could have told them that won't work. The number of times I've been with companies and they've put in new fabulous systems with, you know, expensive equipment across companies and it doesn't work because the people who've got to work on it can't possibly use that because of a very simple reason. But nobody bothered to ask the people. They just thought, oh, this is a good idea. Yeah. And down came the idea and down came all that instruction and it didn't work. So if you involve people at all levels, get their input, get their involvement, get their engagement, that is absolutely crucial part and keep communicating right from the earliest stage. Don't wait till the plan is complete. That's far too late because then, well, nobody told us and nobody asked us. It's not going to work right from the start. Communicate, tell them what you're going to do. Tell them what the plan is. Ask them if they've got any ideas because at that stage, the input is going to be useful. And if you engage right from the beginning, then you're going to be able to get this really positive engagement. And you mentioned something really interesting there. So if you're in the shoes of a marketing manager or marketing director within a company, communication at all levels, and I think that's very important. It shouldn't be that kind of top-down approach to communication. The, the, the responsibility of that communications executive is to communicate what's being said from those below back to the executive team and also the executive team down to the employee teams. And I think a good communication manager has that right balance and is not afraid to approach the leadership. But also leadership have to take some responsibility to want to hear that, don't they? Well, not only want to hear it, but want to act on it, Dan. That's the other thing. So many organisations have done employee satisfaction surveys and the the, the very name fills me with dread (laughs) because what they do is they ask all sorts of questions and they get all the answers in and they do nothing about it. They just tick in the box. We've done an employee satisfaction survey um, and some of the things they just weren't expecting and think, well, we can't possibly do that. We can't, oh, you know, but, and of course, what have they done? They've actually alienated all those people who took their time and effort to express their views and reply to that survey, and they just ignored it. And that's actually worse than not doing it in the first place. So they have to be open to the suggestions. They have to be aware that they might have to do things that perhaps they hadn't thought about that might cost money. But if they want a solid, loyal, motivated workforce They have to involve them at the very earliest stages of all these planning. What are the possible risks? So in a change management situation, which a lot of organisations find themselves within today, what are those risks if communication is not carried out effectively? Well, ultimately, you'll lose people's productivity. They'll lose their motivation. They won't want to work with that company. You'll either lose the person or you'll lose their productivity. Either way, the company is going to suffer. And that's just on a purely financial and commercial basis. That in itself is is worthy enough. But on a personal level, you're going to really damage those people with their career development plans, their health and safety issues. Because, you know, you've got to remember these people are going to work 
in a house that's a house. It's not a workplace. It's not designed for safety for workplace. It's, yeah. it's designed to live in. And it's a completely different thing. You've also got the cybersecurity. You know, it's difficult enough in an in, in office where all the systems are protected and so on. But you're actually getting people to operate from their homes. Now, what's cybersecurity like? I don't know. So we've got personal risk, just practical things about falling downstairs if you're on the phone or, or doing stuff. You've got the cybersecurity. You've got the motivational ideas of, of loyalty and, and commitment to the company. So, you know, it's it's a very, very big list of risks there, Dan. There really is, isn't there? There's a lot to uh, to take into account. And, and, of, and of course, if you uh, have been listening to this podcast series, you'll know that that's what we're trying to do here at CloudBase. It's trying to take some of those key issues such as communication and IT infrastructure structure and cybersecurity and communicate that back so that it minimizes any risk within within your organization. So you're absolutely right to touch on that. Some final questions, if I may. We've talked a lot today about internal communication, making sure that employees are fully aware of the strategy of the, organi- of the, of the company that they work for. What about external communication? I'm talking more to supplier partners, but also local governments as well. You know, if employers are taking their employees out of an office building, you know, that's obviously going to have an impact on the local economy. How How should businesses communicate that to the local authorities, if at all? Well, I think it's really important to communicate. If you just wait until it happens and then, oh, this is suddenly a huge empty office block or uh, that's really not an effective way at all. It's all about relationships. It's all about keeping people informed, the rationale for it. It's not just, you know, woke up one morning and decided not to to, to carry on in that environment anymore. But, you know, the rationale behind it, what's happening, how it's going to happen and have positive dialogue with authorities and suppliers, because clearly suppliers, office blocks have to be maintained, what's going to happen with those situations, all those contracts and so on. I mean, obviously, the contracts have to be honoured and, and there's certain issues involved there. Yeah. But if you, ra- rather than just sever the links and, and disappear, um, you know, it's all about developing relationships and keeping those relationships positive. Debbie Cat, fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and thank you so much for joining the Remote Working Podcast. Thank you very much, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Remote Working Podcast, brought to you by Cloudbase.